add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Tuesday. I'm happy because after today, I'm going to have a, a week and almost a half off. I need it. I deserve it. I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm tired. I need a break. I need a break. Uh, anyway, a lot of people need a break. We're going through a very, very difficult time. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the only true democracy and talk. And uh, glad to have you. We have a great guest joining us later in the hour, but let's kick it and check what is this. We have a great guest joining us later in the hour, but let's kick it and check what is ripped. First off, how desperate would people be uh, in an election? And you know what? A lot of people would say if you, you know, you know that couple where, you know, that couple where, you know, the wife is, you know, the husband's accusing the wife of cheating, but he's the cheater projecting that on her. Well, Republicans are kind of doing the same, maybe, uh, because they keep saying that Democrats have been cheating, although they don't think we're cheating in the states they won. Well, Georgia Secretary of State says that Senator Lindsey Graham implied that he should try to throw away ballots and also tells of death threats that he and his wife have received. Take a listen. You described uh, to the Washington Post a conversation you had with Republican Senator Lindsey Graham on Friday. You came away with the impression that he essentially wanted you to look for ways to toss out mail-in ballots. What exactly did he say to you? Well, he asked if the ballots could be matched back to the voters, and then I I got the sense it implied that uh, then you could throw those out uh, for any really would look at the counties with the highest um, fr- frequent error of uh, signatures. So that's that's the impression that I got. But, uh, you know, we've got signature match in place. We have signature match when you request the ballot, absentee ballot, and then we have signature match when it comes in. And then with our new online absentee ballot portal, uh, that has photo ID. And so we feel really confident that the election officials have done their job. And that's what they're char- charged to do is do their job and make sure the signatures match. I just want to be clear on this, uh, Mr. Secretary. You say uh, Senator Graham wanted you to find ways to get rid of legally cast ballots uh, because CNN asked him about these allegations. He denied them. He says that's ridiculous. Uh, uh, he, his words, that's ridiculous. Well, it's just an implication that uh, uh, look hard and see how many ballots you could throw out. And uh, and I think that they were looking at that as part of a court case. And one actually was subsequently filed, wasn't it? 
You also told the Washington Post, Mr. Secretary, that you and your wife have actually faced death threats over the election results. So this is you're quarantining right now after your wife tested positive for coronavirus. So how are you both doing? I, I assume you're still negative. Is that right? I'm still negative. Uh, yeah, there's some pets have come in, uh, primarily through my wife's cell phone number. Uh, that's a little unsettling for her, obviously. The first ones came in just, you know, more subtle, and then they got uh, more graphic, and then they come in with some vulgarity also. Uh, and so, you know, we always think I'm on this side, of the aisle, obviously, and you always think that your side wears the white hats. But uh, people um, are really upset about this. And at the end of the day, I understand how contentious it is. We're going to follow the process. We follow the law. The results will be what they are. I'm going to probably be disappointed because I was rooting for the Republicans to win, obviously. But I have a process. I have a law that I follow. Integrity in this office matters. Yes, it does. That's Georgia Secretary of State talking about Senator Lindsey Graham implying he should throw away actual ballots. Talk about death threats. He and his wife received her on her cell phone. And in addition to that, I want to commend him because he's being honest. He said, look, I'm a Republican. I want Republicans to win. I also like him admitting that he's getting it from his side because as a liberal, I can't tell you the nasty stuff. I shouldn't that I get on Twitter, Facebook, email, LinkedIn, Instagram from my own side. And it's even worse from the other. Let's rip another. Uh, lots to talk about today. And uh, we have more with regard to Lindsey Graham, a staffer for the Georgia Secretary of State that you just heard from Brad Raffensperger said today that he participated in a controversial phone call with Senator Lindsey Graham. And he said he's corroborating that he heard Graham ask if state officials could throw out ballots. So Senator Graham is saying it's hogwash. Uh, the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who you just heard, said it occurred but now a staffer said they were on the call. The comments come from the staffer, election implementation manager Gabriel Sterling, who corroborates Raffenberger's recent claims about the phone call with Graham. Uh, and, and that is one of Donald Trump's most outspoken allies who did a complete uh, 180, as Mark would say, don't say 360, um, a complete turnaround from trashing Trump back in the day. Uh, earlier this week, you heard just now the uh, uh, the uh, Raffensperger accused Graham of asking him to, quote, look hard and see how many ballots you could throw out. And he was referring to absentee ballots that skewed heavily in favor of President-elect Joe Biden. So what he was basically implying, inferring um, and, and, and hinting at was, hey, throw out a few for Biden. Graham denied the claim. He said it was ridiculous that he would try to pressure Raffensperger to throw out legally cast ballots. I'm sorry, but you have another guy that's on the call. If this had been opposite, Republicans would totally believe the first and certainly the second claim. Now, in a response to a question from CNN about the incident, um, Sterling said, quote, what I heard was basically discussions about absentee ballots and if a potentially, if there was a percentage of signatures that were not really truly matching, is there some point we could get to, we could say somebody went to a courtroom, could say, well, let's throw out all these ballots because we have no way of knowing because the ballots are separated. There is no physical ability for this office to do anything among those lines, Sterling continued, referring to throwing out absentee ballots that have already been deemed legal by local election officials. And he continued, if somebody wanted to go that route, they could go the court route. Let's rip another. While in some parts of the country, uh, there are high rates of coronavirus infection, and we saw that this past spring and summer, now most of the country is experiencing a surge of 
and they're experiencing the worst of it right now. I uh, t- Yesterday, my husband came home early from work. I've mentioned before, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And two of his patients out of the four surgeries he was doing yesterday canceled because they were COVID positive. Uh, the hospital does test people um, because if they're not symptomatic, they could be spreading to the healthcare workers in the OR and throughout the hospital and other patients and family members who are in the hospital uh, waiting in the, in the waiting room. Um, and that has not happened at all since this uh, has occurred. Has he had patients with COVID? Absolutely. But to have two surgeries out of four, 50% of surgeries in one day cancel as a result of COVID, that's just a tip of the iceberg that we are seeing. So by the numbers, most American counties, 58% of them actually, have seen the peak of their coronavirus infections this month. 76% have peaked at some point this past fall. Regionally, if you look at the breakdown, using a seven-day average of cases to smooth out daily variances in reporting, 97% of Midwestern counties' cases peaked this fall. 22% of the Northeast peaked in the spring. That was led by New York City or the New York City metro area. Western and Southern states had the largest shares of counties peak during the summer. And the details, just 34% of U.S. counties peak caseloads came during the spring or summer waves. April had the most peaks in the spring, 83 counties. July led the summer, 300 counties. So much for that heat wave helping. Public interest, ahead of Thanksgiving travel, new coronavirus cases in the U.S. have never been higher. And online interest in the pandemic has never been lower. That's according to data from Newswhip provided to Axios. Now, the novelty of the virus is long worn off with half a year passed since our lives were upended. But the health risks, they have not gone anywhere. By the numbers over the last two weeks, news articles about the pandemic have generated 75 million interactions on social media. That's likes, comments, and shares, according to that Newswhip data. And the last time it was that low, over a two-week stretch, the beginning of March when we all started this even though it came to us in January or earlier. Online interest in the coronavirus has been associated mostly with how disruptive it's been to people's lives rather than how severe of a risk it posed. Interactions peaked as Americans entered lockdowns and adapted to working and learning from home, and it has declined since then, save for an uptick when cases surged in June. Now, even President Trump getting affected in October, that only led to a relatively modest bump in interest for COVID. Here's the big picture. Lower interest, not less media coverage, is responsible for the lower engagement. The number of news articles published about coronavirus are comparable to the level of coverage when cases spiked in the summer in June and July. The 174 interactions per article last week are the lowest they've ever been during this pandemic. Similarly, mentions of coronavirus or COVID-19, they have remained consistently high in cable news over the past eight months, usually averaging 100 and 200 minutes of monthly coverage on each cable network. Most coverage comes from CNN. That's according to Stanford Cable News Analyzer. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines when we come back more from ripped right after this. Marshall, welcome, welcome back. And we continue with what's ripped from the headlines. 
Uh, the new number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 in the United States, it has reached, sadly, a record high of 73,014 yesterday. That's per the COVID tracking project. Governors in several states announced new restrictions to combat the wave of rapid COVID-19 spread, with fears that the numbers will continue to accelerate as people gather for the Thanksgiving holiday. I was just reading that Dr. Fauci said, you can't have any more of the state by state. We need to have a, a, you know, a, a, a unified approach to this pandemic. I agree wholeheartedly. We are 50 states, but we are one nation. We need to be united. And speaking of more governors, even Republicans like Governor Hogan in Maryland are going to sit down and meet with Joe Biden in a Zoom call to discuss how he as a president, as he is president-elect, and they as governors of their states can work together going forward. Look, this is not political. We know this. This is no laughing matter. There, there, there was a nurse uh, online who talked about people dying on their deathbed from COVID-19 still in denial that they could get this, that it's real, and that it will be what kills them and takes them out. And they die alone. I mean, this is this is how uh, this is how uh, uh, sad that is. And we're going to play uh, that clip coming up with our guest in the next segment. Thank you, Mark. Uh, the number of people, like I said, new record high, seventy three thousand fourteen um, as of yesterday. Um, and there are fears that the numbers will continue to accelerate, especially as people gather for the Thanksgiving holiday. Listen, my every Thanksgiving, my husband and I, and my kids, we normally go to Florida. Uh, we'll go somewhere in Florida and then we end up in Orlando where my in-laws live and we spend time with them, but we just can't do that. My mother-in-law has Parkinson's. My father-in-law is 91. It's too dangerous. And to get on the plane and fly so far, um, is, is very, uh, dangerous to them and possibly to us, uh, our children. And we're not going to see my husband's family at Thanksgiving. We also are not going to see my family at Christmas. So what we're going to do instead is my husband, my two children, our dog and I, um, over uh, Thanksgiving, um, we're going to do uh, some beach stuff where we're going to we're going to jet ski and we're going to snorkel. And, we, you know, we can do that here in uh, Southern California. And, uh, you know, for winter, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to do like some snow skiing and, you know, snowboarding and uh, try and find things that we can do. Um, maybe some charity and some volunteering over Thanksgiving and Christmas, help others. Um, it's going to be different and it's going to be hard. I have never not seen my mother for an entire year. And this December, just a few days before Christmas, it'll be exactly one year since I have not seen my own mom and neither she nor I are getting any younger. Um, I say this because, you know, those of us on radio, television like myself, um, I'm, I'm not saying this because Joe Biden's going to be our president. I'm not saying this because I'm a Democrat. I'm not saying this because it's a democratic agenda or philosophy. I'm saying this because I'm a human being just like you. And we happen to be Americans and we should be Americans together. Please don't endanger your life, the life of your family or the life of my family by not wearing a mask, not social distancing. If you're going to be traveling, we're going to be doing some traveling and we're going to be self-quarantining for two weeks when... Uh, we come back home after Thanksgiving. Um, that's easier said than done for some people. If you can't do it, don't do the traveling. I work from home. Uh, my kids are um, also uh, from home. And uh, my husband, as a physician, uh, he has a lot of quarantining that he does, and he has tested for COVID at least once a week, uh, more so when he comes into contact with the uh, COVID patients. Um, so please, 
uh, for your safety. Let's get this in our rearview mirror, folks. We can do this. We've seen other countries do this, other countries that are back to normal. Don't you want to be back to normal? I don't know about you. I want my kids to go to school. Look, you know, I love what I do for a living and I love being able to do it from my house. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't miss the airport and the long flights and the crazy hours. But, you know, I miss working with my colleagues in in person and having that chemistry, like uh, without numbered, for example, sitting on the couch with those uh, wonderful ladies and, and gentlemen that I get to work with um, at the network. So please uh, stay safe. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom pulled the emergency break on the state's reopening yesterday, announcing widespread closures of indoor services in the states, like the gym where my husband is freaking. Uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy Murphy uh, in Jersey announced indoor gatherings will be limited to a maximum of 10 people. The state will cap outdoor gatherings at 150 starting next week. Uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced a slate of restrictions that included halting in-person classes. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee announced uh, new measures on social gatherings the same day. And last week, New Mexico banned in-person services for non-essential businesses. Maryland ordered restaurants to reduce indoor dining capacity to 50%. Oregon announced indoor restaurant dining must pause limits uh, to social gatherings and, and no indoor dining. Governors of New York, Connecticut, Minnesota, and New Jersey have all enacted 10 p.m. curfews in recent days for bars, restaurants, and gyms. And I want to point out, those are all Democratic governors. Two states where they're not, Ohio and Iowa, they're shutting down. And those are Republican governors as well. And I say that because I don't want you to think the blue wave, uh, the uh, closures is a blue wave. Iowa, like I said, becomes the latest state to issue some sort of mandate for face-wearing uh, uh, masks, uh, wearing face coverings in public. So the United States reported 148,532 new corona cases just yesterday. 581 people died from the virus just yesterday. That brings the total to 238,217 deaths since the start of the pandemic. And if you don't have it and it hasn't affected you or a friend or a loved one, it's easy to rattle off numbers, but have you ever looked at actually how many numbers those are? Those are human beings. Those are lives. Those are somebody's parents, sis sisters, brothers, friends, grandparents. Experts have warned of a particularly deadly winter this year. They weren't joking. The coronavirus pandemic is intersect intersecting with the seasonal flu. And uh, if you haven't got your flu shot, please get it. I got mine yesterday. I'm a little bit sore, a little bit tender. But uh, please do it for you. Do it for your kids. Do it for my kids. Let's rip another. Dr. Anthony Fauci told the New York Times' Andrew Ross Sorkin that life could return to some degree of normality by fall 2021, but that's only if 75%, three-quarters of us here in the United States get vaccinated. He said, quote, this is going to be a difficult task. We've got to do outreach. We've got to be transparent. Fauci also said the U.S. still needs to make available rapid-at-home test kits that can be used uh, daily. Uh, only uh, a third of Americans are willing to get the vaccine. Let's rip another. President-elect Joe Biden's senior White House staff will include several close longtime advisors. It will be a first step toward his promises of a diverse administration. As outgoing President Donald Trump continues to ignore and withhold information from the Biden transition team, Biden forged ahead <laughs> today, announcing several key hires. Uh, picks include Steve Reschetti, a veteran of Democratic administrations. He, start, he served as chief of staff to then-Vice President Biden as a counselor. 
uh, Mike uh, uh, Danilian, a longtime Biden strategist, senior advisor, former Congressional Black Caucus chair, Representative Cedric Richmond, I think is a great pick, as uh, another senior advisor and director of the White House's Office of Public Engagement. Biden said that America faces great challenges and they bring diverse perspectives and a shared commitment to tackling these challenges and emerging on the other side, a stronger, more united nation. The official transition has been held up by a Trump appointee at the General Services Administration, Emily Murphy, who has refused to acknowledge the win for Joe Biden, president-elect. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped in the headlines coming up, our guest, and more right after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Marshall, welcome or welcome back. We have Scott Wilkinson joining us in just a moment, CEO of AlphaVu. They specialize in advanced network science. Their technology empowers their clients with competitive intelligence, message control, and smart engagement. AlphaVu also has a new patent-pending technology designed to provide policymakers with the tools and knowledge to identify and combat misinformation with digital conversations. Their website is alphavu.com. That's A-L-P-H-A-V-U.com. On Twitter, follow them at alphavu, alphavu instead of vu, alphavu, but it's A-L-P-H-A-V-U. And Scott's handle, our guest today, is at S-G-Wilk, S-G-W-I-L-K. Scott, thank you for uh, joining us. Let's first listen to um, a little bit of audio um, this is South Dakota's ER nurse, Jody Daring, telling CNN's Allison Camerata that her COVID-19 patients often don't want to believe that the virus is real, even as they have it, and sometimes they're dying from it. Take a listen. You said that even now, that the, the hospital is being overrun with COVID patients. They come in, they're horribly ill, they're gasping for breath, and yet they don't believe they have covid Yeah, I think the hardest thing to watch is that people are still looking for something else and they want a magic answer and they don't want to believe that COVID is real. And the reason I tweeted what I did is it wasn't one particular patient. It's just a culmination of so many people and their last dying words are um, this can't be happening. It's not real. And when they should be spending time FaceTiming their families they're filled with anger and hatred. And it just made me really sad the other night. And um, I just can't believe that those are going to be their last thoughts and words. Anger and hatred towards you? Um, You know, I think it's just uh, a belief that it's not real. And nursing happens to be on the receiving end of that. And that's okay. We can take that. That's what you're there for. It's just in the bigger picture when you try to reason with people of, can I call your family, your kids, your wife, your friend, your brother, and they say, no, because I'm going to be fine. And you're watching their oxygen levels, um, you know, maxed out on what we call vapotherm at 100% and their oxygen level might be 75. That's not really that compatible with life. And we know where that's going to head. And it just makes you um, sad and mad and frustrated And then you know that you're just going to come back and do it all over again. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of where that stemmed from. 
how could it not make your own head explode? They're gasping for breath. <laughs> Their oxygen levels are dropping. What do they think is wrong with them? You know, I think people look for anything. Um, people want it to be um, influenza. They want it to be pneumonia. They want it to be, I mean, we've even had people say, well, I think maybe it might be lung cancer. I mean, something so far-fetched. And the reality is since day one, when COVID started in this area in March, you've kind of been able to say if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. Like, I hate to tell you that you have COVID, but that's what you have. You know, even after positive results come back, some people just don't believe it. Now, that's not everybody. We have a lot of patients who are very, very grateful for their care and very thankful for what you do. But unfortunately, that's not what I'm remembering right now. And as my nursing career um, that that's not what I want to be remembered, be remembering poor. I, I want to remember the saves and the happy situations. And what I was remembering chilling on the couch the other night with my dog was not that. Of course not. I mean, of course not. And it's just so mind blowing to think yeah. that they would rather have lung cancer. They'd rather a diagnosis <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of See? lung cancer than of yeah. coronavirus. And so, I mean, you've said that it was, I mean, if I quote you from morning television, yeah. it effing horror movie that you live every day. And so what toll yeah. is this taking on you? Yeah, hindsight, um, I didn't realize that this was gonna go viral. I probably could have left the F-bomb out of there, but the reality is that's how you feel. And so um, it, it is like, it's just a, a movie where the credits never roll. You, you just do it all over again. And it's um, hard and sad because every hospital, every nurse, every doctor in this state is seeing the same things. These people get sick in the same way, you treat them in the same way, they die in the same way, and then you do it over again. And we're so thankful for um, the lessons we've learned along the way, and we're doing a good job of taking care of the people that come in. And um, we're managing our patient loads um, here right now. Sometimes it's day to day, sometimes it's hour to hour. Um, but the reality is that right now it's not getting better. You said just, um, as you started the show, you know, 50 to 60% positivity rate. I mean, our entire state has 880,000 people. It doesn't take much to do the math on that for how many of us are sick. Absolutely. Uh, uh that clip, uh, th thank you for sitting with us. Uh, sorry about the length there, Scott. Um, uh, Scott, that clip, fully demonstrates how misinformation is so powerful and that sometimes even death won't break the hold that misinformation can have on a person or on their mind, correct? Absolutely. Misinformation is incredibly powerful and it's the, it's the evil stepchild of human biology and modern technology. Um, we as human beings are incredibly stubborn creatures and all of us, regardless of our politics, right, left or center, or make decisions first on an emotional basis before our reason kicks in. We all do that. Um, and the fact of the matter is when you exacerbate, exacerbate that with modern technology, where you are constantly fed things that you're predisposed to believe, um, getting different information, better information, something that may change your mind is incredibly difficult. You know, there there's information out there. Uh, if you look at politics, right, before the election and even continuing now after the election, um, a lot of misinformation. Um, it's a, it's a, would, would you say it's one of the most significant problems in our society today? Oh, without, without a doubt. And I do think it's important to differentiate between disinformation and misinformation. Please do. Disinformation, of course, is intentional. 
It's when somebody puts out a piece of information that they know not to be true. When the president says he won the election, that is disinformation because he knows that's not true. Uh, what we heard described in your audio is misinformation, and that's very different because it is very genuinely, honestly held and believed to be true, even though it's not. And those are very different things. Uh, and what we really need to focus on is misinformation because that's what causes um, harm in our communities. And when it comes to uh, COVID, it's what causes uh, potentially death. How can we combat misinformation? I mean, we just saw with that clip that, that for some people, death doesn't even break the hold that it has on some people. So how do we combat that successfully? Well, there's good news and the bad. there's bad news. The bad news is uh, is very difficult uh, and nearly impossible to change somebody's mind if they have a, a firmly held entrenched position that is based on misinformation. Uh, what we can do is inoculate people who have not yet been exposed to misinformation or who are not so firmly entrenched in it. Uh, and we have to do that. I say we fight information by uh, doing what our, our parents taught us. Listen be respectful, state the truth respectfully, and stick to it, uh, and do it over and over and over again. Um, I often encourage, there's an incredible uh, lack of trust in this country. Um, uh, the public does not uh, trust public institutions. Um, they do tend to trust people they know or feel they know. Uh, and so if uh, I say to people, if you are not sure of what the truth is, um, talk to your doctor, talk to your pastor, uh, find a neighbor who you know you disagree with and invite them over to grill a burger, put a burger, a burger on the grill. Um, it's those types of um, stepping away from Facebook conversations uh, where you have time to reflect uh, and time to reason uh, that are most effective at fighting misinformation. And the other thing, and this is, this is a long-term, not an easy solution, we have to do much better about educating people, especially about basic civics in this country. Uh, there's a shocking um, lack of un understanding about how government works and why. Uh, and that's something that we really need to address. Uh, how can we spot misinformation um, specifically, terminology as well, that's specifically used in posts that relate to COVID-19? We're in a pandemic and that people, you know, people believing that you can inject bleach or right now there's something out there with mouthwash. I think some people think if they drink it or if they just gargle, they're going to be all set. Um, how can we spot that information relating to COVID-19? Yeah, so there are three things. Um, we've done some analysis on this and looking for word and word usage that accompanies misinformation. One thing that we see is that often misinformation is accompanied with um, mentions of money or economics, taxes. Essentially, uh, people are accusing um, um, institutions or individuals um, of recommending safety procedures because they're trying to steal money or do something for their own economic benefit. That's one thing. The second thing, a lot of COVID misinformation is uh, accompanied with very negative attacks on elected officials. Uh, and so that's something else to look for. And the third thing, of course, there's a lot of anger that's tied to misinformation. So bad language, extreme negativity. Uh, any combination of those three things greatly increases the chance that what you're looking at is misinformed and you should step away from. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more um, about this. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about misinformation. And we're going to talk about how much of this misinformation is responsible for decisions that can truly affect people's lives here in the United States. Uh, we'll be back with our guests. We'll be back with you right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. 
We are back. Hey there. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Scott Wilkinson, CEO of Alpha View, is our guest. Their website, once again, is alphaview.com. That's A-L-P-H-A-V-U.com. Their Twitter handle is at Alpha View, and Scott's Twitter handle is at S-G-Wilk, S-G-W-I-L-K. Scott, thank you for holding uh, welcome back. We were talking before the break about misinformation. It's continuing to spread after the election. We're talking about specifically mis- misinformation with regard uh, to COVID-19. Um, now we have two companies, Moderna and uh, Pfizer, uh, in, in in a race with over a 90% effective rate for vaccines. They're apparently going to be distributed to the highest risk individuals and healthcare professionals. And by spring, hopefully, um, the in- entire general population here in the United States. But uh, most there are many polls out there that show between a third and half of Americans say they will not get this COVID vaccine once it's available. Uh, do you think that number is that high when we're in a pandemic with regard to this virus? Uh, do you think that we're seeing numbers like that in large part because of the misinformation surrounding vaccines and COVID-19 as well? Yes, absolutely. And I can tell you consistently across the board in every corner of the country where we measure um, misinformation around vaccinations is higher than any other public health topic. Uh, And that's consistently the case. And it has been for a long time. Um, The strange thing is that vaccination rates in this country are actually pretty high. So what we don't know is whether something has changed and the public really in larger numbers will not accept uh, the COVID-19 vaccine when it's available, uh, or whether um, now that the election is over, now that some of the heat is calming down, people will have the opportunity to reflect and hopefully uh, will accept the, uh, the COVID vaccine in as high rates as they do other vaccines. We just don't know at this point. You talked about before the break how we can spot misinformation, terminology that people use in their posts specifically related to COVID-19. Um, how can America combat misinformation or how can uh, we uh, you know, fight the misinformation machine, if you will, uh, to get Americans to realize that a COVID vaccine could help protect uh, both them and, and our nation as a whole going forward? Right. There are two types of misinformation around vaccinations that we see um, most commonly. First of all, is that claims of vaccines uh, having certain side effects, certain very serious side effects. Um, that is extremely rare, extremely rare. And if you have any concerns, you should ask your doctor. You should not take advice from social media. Uh, the second thing is that we see uh, very commonly, uh, particularly um, in regions um with with, with uh, much poor demographics, for example, is people discussing the use of herbal remedies in, in lieu of a vaccine. Uh, and it's important to understand that it's absolutely no replacement. A uh, vaccine is its own thing. Uh, and that's something we have to be very aggressive and very firm in our public information and outreach about. Uh, I want to talk about the election. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of the Trump administration, declared that the 2020 elections were the most secure in American history. And they went on to say there was no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. Now, despite the clear statement from that agency that is housed within Trump's own administration within his Department of Homeland Security, A post-election survey by Politico and Morning Consult found that 70% of Republicans say they don't believe the 2020 election was free and fair, and that's a stark rise from the 35% of GOP votes 
uh, voters who held that uh, a similar belief before the election. So why is there such a disconnect between what these voters think and what Trump's own Department of Homeland Security is saying about the integrity of our elections? Unfortunately, this is one of the worst aspects of misinformation we see right now. And it gets back to that human biology aspect of if I don't like you, I'm not going to believe what you say. If I do like you or I do support you, I choose to believe whatever you say. And the fact of the matter is um, people who support the president or people who oppose the president need to look at the information on its own terms and not based on what the elected officials or candidates who they support say. Um, unfortunately, um, given uh, the exacerbated problems in social media, confirmation bias, all of these problems together just really mean that there is a lack of appreciation and understanding uh, of expertise uh, and fact-based information. And it's alarming, and I'm afraid it's getting worse. You're a tech guy. I am not a tech gal. <laughs> but uh, two companies uh, you know, inside uh, Silicon Valley here in the state where I live in California um, have a, a lot of control over what goes out, two of which are Facebook and Twitter. And recently, um, they had separate and differing tactics to prevent misinformation. How would you evaluate Facebook and Twitter's attempts? So I would, um, I believe their attempts overall were well-intentioned and a step in the right direction. I think we also need to not be shy about understanding that these are private companies who operate for profit. Uh, and they're, and that's going to always going to be their primary, their primary motivation. Um, the fact of the matter is there needs to be independent uh, oversight and regulation that makes sure that the impact that these companies have uh, on the public uh, conversation uh, is in the public good and for the public benefit. And that's not always going to be in line with their profit goals. So um, I applaud them what they, for what they did, uh, but it's only a first step. Uh, we have probably not had this much before uh, Donald Trump is president, but uh, the president tweets a lot. The president has given out a lot of misinformation. Um, what can be done when the misinformation is coming from the commander in chief? I mean, the president of the United States. When I was a kid, I was always, you know, brought up to believe that, you know, you you listen to those in, in authority. We have bumper stickers that say question authority. And now we have to question the message coming from and the information coming from authority figures such as the president. I think it's a great question that it ties back to what the social media platforms themselves are doing. The fact of the matter is Twitter, by its own admission, let the president get away with more than they, than they would have if he were not the president of the United States, right? Because, and I understand this, you don't just shut off the social media account of the president of the United States. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that position is no longer sufficient. Um, social media companies are going to have to, and I think it's likely in coming years, will have some liability for the content that's on their platforms. And when that happens, uh, they're going to be liable no matter the source of that content, whether it's the president of the United States or you or me. And I think that's the direction we need to go. Speaking of the direction that, that we need to go or just direction going forward, um, are, is this our new normal? I, I mean, the, the, the world of misinformation or when Donald Trump is no longer president, will, will some of that die down? I mean, between, you know, the, the misinformation, the lies, the conspiracy theories, or is this our new normal? I'm hopeful it's going to diminish to some extent, but it's not going away. Uh, and it's not going to go to where we were a few years ago. Um, so in that regard, it is the new normal. 
But I absolutely believe there are steps that we can take both on a personal individual level to not participate in misinformation, to recognize it, to train ourselves to recognize it, and then on a regulatory perspective to make sure that the social media platforms are doing what they need to do uh, to diminish the impact of misinformation. If we take those steps the next couple of years, I think we can really be in a much better position than we have in the, in the last two years. Uh, two questions with regard to youth. Uh, first of all, do you think the youth are better at recognizing misinformation than adults? Yes, this is one of the really good news stories. I am incredibly impressed uh, with the ability of younger people, um, regardless of where they are politically, to recognize when something is misinformed, when it's untrue, and to be able to share information to establish a common common agreement on facts. I see it over and over. It's exciting. I think it's one of the things that um, we should all be very optimistic about. Uh, speaking of children, even younger children, wh what advice would you give parents or educators out there with regard to uh, the misinformation? Children are largely learning uh, remotely online. My children are. They're 12 and 13. And um, my, my son will sometimes say, my, my children will argue about things that they've read that are not true. Um, and, you know, obviously, if, if they didn't say it to me, I wouldn't be able to correct it. A any advice for parents or for teachers handling misinformation their children are exposed to? Well, I'd say, first of all, the fact that that argument is happening is a really good thing, um, because that's that process of conflict and debate and discussion uh, where truth um, gets revealed. Uh, the real danger is when kids are exposed to and reading information and they don't have an opportunity to discuss it. Uh, and then that's, they just assume it's the truth and move on. So um, obviously having an opportunity to discuss with kids what it is they're seeing, what they think about it, uh, and to also encourage them to go and look at multiple sources. Uh, that's really the best way to combat uh, information and, and to discuss it with kids. Should the government, in your opinion, Scott, have a role in combating this information or misinformation? Uh, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. Uh, ultimately, yes. Um, the fact of the matter is we know that social media companies, um, their economic incentive is to um, allow and even promote outrage because that's what gets clicks. That's what drives advertising dollars. Uh, a lie travels in social media six times faster than a fact. Um, there's a lot of research out there about this. Um, and so there is going to have to be a regulatory approach that promotes fact uh, and discussion and free access to information over outrage and misinformation. Last question. We have 60 seconds, so you have to make it quick. I think Pizzagate or pedophilia Pizzagate is an example where a man walked in with a gun and he, he couldn't, thankfully, pull the trigger. Uh, but misinformation can can lead to someone's death and not just talking about COVID. Absolutely, I can. Uh, misinformation is has exploded in frequency and intensity, uh, and it, it is causing it's it's impacting people's lives and it's causing deaths, both in COVID and elsewhere. It's a very serious problem. Uh, I am optimistic that we are starting to get ahead of it, to understand it, and to be able to implement uh, processes and regulations that will help, help us combat it. But we have to stay on top of it. I want to say thank you because you educated me today. This is an area that I'm just learning more about. It's fascinating as a parent. It's worrying as a, a voter. It's frightening uh, and living in a pandemic uh, even more so. Scott, thank you. And thank you for your company and what they do at AlphaView. Scott Wilkinson, CEO of AlphaView. Once again, their website, AlphaView.com. That's A-L-P-H-A-V-U.com. On Twitter, at AlphaView. 
A-L-P-H-A-V-U. And Scott's handle is at S-G-Wilk, S-G-W-I-L-K. Scott, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. This holiday season, remember the families who've lost loved ones to COVID-19. Don't risk losing your loved ones. Stay vigilant. Make smart choices. Avoid indoor gatherings and wear a mask. Spread hope, not COVID. For tips, visit michigan.gov slash holiday 2020. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. This holiday season, remember the families who've lost loved ones to COVID-19. Don't risk losing your loved ones. Stay vigilant, make smart choices, avoid indoor gatherings, and wear a mask. Spread hope, not COVID. For tips, visit michigan.gov slash holiday 2020. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.